This is MPB News. Hi, this is Ashley Norwood. Thanks for checking out the At Issue podcast. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, or leave a comment. Subscribe to this and other MPB News productions, like Mississippi Edition, to stay up to date. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, too. You can also watch At Issue on MPB TV, Friday nights at 7.30, or on mpbonline.org. Thanks for listening. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Wilson Stripling. Welcome to a new season of At Issue, where we discuss and debate the issues facing the state of Mississippi and how these issues impact you. Mississippi is officially flying a new state flag. Ratifying the flag Mississippians voted on in November was the first item on the agenda for lawmakers as they convened for the 2021 legislative session. During a ceremony at the two Mississippi museums in Jackson this week, Governor Tate Reeves signed the bill adopting the new flag into law. Members of the commission created to design the In God We Trust flag stood behind him. The commission considered more than 3,000 flag designs before narrowing it down to one. In November, more than 70% of voters in Mississippi approved the new design. In Mississippi, there has been a prominent roadblock to unity. When many looked at our former flag, they just saw a symbol of the state and heritage they loved. But many felt dismissed, diminished, and even hated because of that flag. That is not a firm foundation for our state. So today, we turn the page. We commit our former flag to history and we commit ourselves to the business of the future. From there, Reeves and commission members joined legislators on the Capitol steps for a flag raising ceremony. In June of last year, the state House and Senate both approved legislation to remove the 126 year old flag with its Confederate imagery. During the ceremony, House Speaker Philip Gunn talked about how some lawmakers who struggled with their vote to take down the former flag finally came around to voting yes. Another member came back later, told me no, but he came back later, he said, I got two little boys that are watching me. I cannot let them down. I'm voting yes. Another member told me no. Five hours later, he came back and he said, I've talked to my wife. And my wife asked me, am I going to be able to look myself in the mirror the day after this vote and be proud of what I have done? He said, I know the answer to that question and I'm voting yes. And then finally, I had a member who unfortunately, sadly, recently lost his son-in-law to cancer. He's now the father figure in the life of his six-year-old grandson. I asked him for his vote one day, and he was so overcome with emotion that he could not answer. All he could do was reach into his coat pocket, pull out a picture of his six-year-old grandson, and say to me, he's watching me. I cannot let him down. And I could tell you a dozen more stories like these, legislators who became convicted that this was the right thing to do. So when you ask me what caused all these legislators to change their votes from no to yes, I will tell you it was their families. 
It was knowing that history was going to record what they did and they did not want their spouses or their children or their grandchildren to be disappointed in them. They wanted their children and grandchildren to be proud of them, the future generations of this state to be proud of what they did. And by their courageous action, they have given future generations the opportunity to write a new chapter in our state's history. For some lawmakers, watching the new flag rising above the Capitol for the first time evoked a mix of emotions. Democratic Representative Zakia Summers of Jackson says she thought of her children as she voted yes to changing the flag. She says she also remembers former black legislators who would have wanted to see this moment in Mississippi history. We've gone through so much um, in this state to get that new emblem. Um, I had an opportunity to watch a presentation from a historian that talked about the first black legislators after Reconstruction and to know that I have the opportunity to sit in those seats, many of whom were not even acknowledged as sir. <laughs> and to know that I had the opportunity to press the button that allowed this to happen and then also just a feeling of joy that um, voters all across the state um, saw that it was time for the state to turn a new page and they went out and voted in a major way and it's because of the voters really putting a stamp on what we did last session that we're able to celebrate what happened today so um, i'm just so excited i'm excited to talk with my children about it this evening and to know that they know that their mother was a part of that. It's, it's quite historical. <laughs> a former governor, Ronnie Musgrove, also a Democrat, attended both the bill signing and the flag raising this week. He led an effort in 2001 to choose a new flag design through a statewide vote. With 64% of voters in Mississippi choosing to keep the 1894 flag with its Confederate emblem, his effort failed. The former governor says he wasn't sure if he would live to see Mississippi select a new banner. It, it was so divisive at the time. Uh, I made the comment because of how divisive it was. Uh, I, I was unsure whether this would happen uh, at this point in time in my life. Uh, I felt like it would happen. Uh, I, I didn't want to be on my deathbed when it did happen. And so as a result, I believe that people watched what has happened across the country. They have seen the injustices that have taken place. They have seen the fact that people have been left out. Uh, they've not been spoken for. They've not been stood up for. And, and to live in a state where the flag does not represent you or who you are is a disappointment. It also holds the state back from moving forward whether it be educationally, whether it be economically, in good job offerings or, or good quality of life. Uh, I believe that th today is a great day for the start of Mississippi. We're nearing almost a year now since the coronavirus arrived in Mississippi. Today, the State Department of Health is reporting 2,342 new cases and 55 related deaths. That brings the totals in Mississippi to just under 249,000 coronavirus cases and a little over 5,400 deaths. 
COVID-19 vaccines arrived in Mississippi in mid-December. Since then, the state has vaccinated more than 63,000 people, primarily health care workers, residents of long-term care facilities, and those 65 or older. On Wednesday, the health department announced that the state has no more vaccine appointments available at drive through locations, and clinics will not be able to order more until the state receives additional shipments from the federal government, which could be in mid-February. Then late today, the health department issued an update saying more more appointments would become available the first week or the week of January 25th, that is. Regardless, health officials say if you have already gotten your first dose, there is enough supply on hand for your second dose. The coronavirus pandemic also continues to disrupt teaching and learning in Mississippi schools. Lawmakers are concerned about the effects of the pandemic on K-12 public education. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman says he is deeply disturbed about potential learning loss. I am worried to death about a gap year. I will just tell you all, I, I have probably been on 50 different, I've been in class, 50 different classes on Zoom calls with teachers and whatnot. Um, they, they basically have created an entire new school system since February. I, I still marvel at the fact that they were able to do that. But every one of these that I ask these kids, would you rather be here in class? 90% of them want to come back to class. The teacher can't come down the row and say, what, are you having trouble? Uh, the actual, uh, they can't, they don't have the social interaction that goes with going to school. This, this distance learning is a supplement to education. It is not the answer to education. And I think you'll find today, and I think in our national studies, that our students aren't getting as good an education as they would sitting in front of a teacher. During a hearing at the Capitol last week, senators met with Education Superintendent Carrie Wright. She says without full data, it's difficult to assess the impact of COVID-19 disruptions on learning in Mississippi schools. Under a state law that's been in place for several years, students are required to pass a reading assessment at the end of third grade. Those who do not pass are supposed to be held back. But Wright believes this should be a year of grace for students and schools. This is my recommendation, is that they maintain their letter grade that they had from the previous year. We still administer the third grade assessment. We still administer the end of course assessments, but we are not going to retain third graders that don't pass that assessment, and nor would we hold the same level of um, commitment to our, our high school students for the end of course assessments passing rate. The legislature could tweak the law to waive the passing requirement, or Governor Tate Reeves could do it through an executive order. A teacher pay bill has come out of the Senate Education Committee and is expected to be taken up on the floor next week. Education Chairman Dennis DeBar of Leakesville tells at issue producer Ashley Norwood the bill is the exact same as last year's bill, which was put off due to state spending uncertainties after the coronavirus pandemic began. It would be a $1,000 uh, pay raise for teachers and teachers assistants, and it would raise the starting salary for teachers to $37,000. Currently, a teacher with three years or less of experience with a bachelor's degree, their salary is $35,890, uh, so we're pushing that to thirty-seven. dollars So their, that raise would actually be $1,110. You know, you have some people who may say, why not more? What are your, what's your response to that? I, I agree. I think that that's, uh, we need to get up to the southeastern uh, average. Uh, but. We can't do it all at once. We have other agencies that need to be funded, corrections, mental health, um, child support, you know, child services. So um, I agree. Um, this is a first step. 
Um, if the House wants to include a bigger pay raise, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, but uh, our plan on the Senate is to start here and then work our way up next year and the following year. Um, we'd be back here this year doing the pay raise if last year's bill had passed. So um, our goal is to, to help our teachers uh, receive a decent pay that they, they can afford to live on. Members of the Legislative Black Caucus are outlining their priorities for the 2021 session. Election reform is one item on their list. Democratic Senator Angela Turner Ford of West Point chairs the caucus. She tells at issue producer Ashley Norwood what other issues the group is prioritizing and why increasing access to voting in Mississippi is important. The, the absentee ballot process that we have is, um, I would say, more complicated and what we want to do is allow individuals or develop a framework that would allow individuals to vote early um, so that they won't have to wait in long lines. I've been I've heard that this is not our last pandemic, so I, I don't know that, but we don't we have no idea of knowing what we're going to face in the future. But why not use this as an opportunity to make changes that would help our constituents? Kind of talk about what you noticed in the most recent election and why this is important going forward. Well, it's important because I, mean, I think it was only highlighted by all of the reports in the media where we saw that voters were waiting in long lines to simply cast their ballot. And um, that's a right that we have, but we certainly want, don't want our process to deter them in um, expressing their will for who they want to lead them. Now, there were questions to Governor Tay Reeves about early voting access in Mississippi, and it seems like something he's not interested in. How do you, how do you suppose that'll go over? Well, there was no interest in changing the flag. So, you know, we will just have to be ready. Um, the policies are in place. What we want, we've expressed. And um, when the opportunity presents itself, we prepare to, we want to be prepared to move on that. In, in, in criminal justice, um, talk to me about some of the highlights there. You know, last year, we went to, um, a group of caucus members went to Parchman to tour the facilities. And um, we found them to be in, a condition that was very alarming to us. We understand that since that time some changes have been made. Um, of course we have not been able to tour due to COVID, but um, there's the issue of people being there, um, the potential for them to have been rehabilitated, but they cannot be released. We would like to, the laws to be changed to, uh, for, to allow for their re-entry into society as well as those you know juvenile life offenders we need to create a pathway for them perhaps to to be rehabilitated and against these are all policies that need i would say all hands on deck and they do need to be modified how important is medicaid I, I think it's been highlighted by the progression of COVID in the community um, it's very important other states have expanded Medicaid according to the Affordable Care Act model, and that's what we would like to see here. But there's been opposition to it, and um, hopefully there is a desire to, to look on the people with compassion and try to create um, systems for them to get health care as they need. So let's get straight to the point now with views from both sides of the aisle. Brandon Jones is an attorney and former Democratic member of the House. 
Austin Barber is a national Republican strategist and founder of the Clearwater Group. It is good to see both of you. It's been uh, it's been quite a while. It was February. We had to talk about this before we uh, uh, sat down uh, today to remember when we last gathered. February, we stopped production on that issue because of uh, COVID-19. We finally back together. We were on a new set where we're socially distanced now. That's why it's so big. But so much has happened in addition to the coronavirus. We've had the state flag, which we saw there. We lost Governor Winter uh, earlier. Uh, also, um, the, the world has changed in other ways, of course. We have a, a new president who's about to to be inaugurated. We've got another president uh, impeached. Austin, it, it's a different place than, than where we were in February. Yeah, it's certainly a different place. There's no question about that. So many things happening inside uh, Mississippi, uh, obviously in, in our nation's capital around the country and throughout the world. But glad to be back. Yes, it, it, it is good to be back regardless of all that's uh, transpired since we were last together. Good to see you both. Appreciate MPB taking these precautions, building us a nice place to where we can work safely. Um, a lot of teamwork went into that. And I hope, uh, to your point that you made during the news portion, Wilson, that folks are out there getting this vaccine because that's going to be the way we start to turn the corner. And it is, we got some good news from the health department today that we, that we mentioned. And they had initially said that uh, there, was, there were no more appointments available until perhaps mid-February. Now they're saying January 25th, as, as supplies slowly roll in from other channels, that there would be uh, other options. How, what's your assessment so far of how uh, the coronavirus and the vaccine, everything associated with it is being handled on, on the state level? Well, you have to start at the national level and, and what a fumbled process it's been from the you know top down and I think our states were in many respects scrambling because we didn't have a unified national response and so it's been a very piecemeal approach by the states I think that our administration uh, fared better than some of our southeastern partners like we saw in Florida and Georgia and some other places that had just some of the worst responses we saw in the country but at times um, maybe uh, did not do enough to protect the people of Mississippi now we're at the vaccine distribution phase, and I, I give them credit, Austin. Uh, they seem to be, you know, scrambling to get as much vaccine into the hands of people to administer as possible. Um, so it's been a mixed bag. But, you know, to be fair, it, this is not an easy process. There was no blueprint for this. There's no silver bullet. Um, this has been a challenging time, and I hope that we are beginning to see light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and, and I know that you know, Governor Reeves, Dr. Dobbs, uh, Greg Michelle now at, at, at MEMA, of course, been at MEMA, but now they're involved with this. Those guys are not going to be happy until everybody that wants to, uh, to be vaccinated is vaccinated. Um, and certainly uh, they're going to they're going to work hard to do that. You know, there are some roadblocks that are set up, as you just mentioned. You've got to be able to get enough vaccines from the federal government here in Mississippi and then distribute them around the state. But um, they've hit some roadblocks. Certainly they have. I know they're trying to work through it. It's not as easy a process. I know my parents went through the process and drove to the drive-in in Canton the other day, and they're both 80 years old and were able to get vaccinated round one, and I was glad to know that. So, And I, and I just encourage those of you who are out there, get vaccinated if you can. And if you have questions about it, get online, go to some reasonable, rational sites and learn about this because it's certainly worth uh, getting uh, updated on this and, and hopefully getting a shot in your arm. Uh, Brandon, you've served in the House, as we uh, as we mentioned when, when we introduced you. How does something like this affect the work that gets done uh, in the Capitol? Because you can't all get in the same room at the same time. There are committee meetings that are happen, happening under uh, altered circumstances. They're online now, which is which is helpful to the general public as well. But but how, how does this hinder the legislature's work? 
I, I think it, it is a great hindrance. You know, we saw also this summer about 50 of our members contract the virus, and that's untold staff and visitors. And so it's had a real human impact on some of these folks. And I, I think one of the things that we learned is that there's no really good way to do it in person. That, that, to your point, Wilson, you really can't get together. I appreciate the Senate where they've decided to put their committee meetings in larger rooms mm-hmm. to put those up on YouTube. That's one of the ways that you can make it more accessible. But, you know, there are plenty of folks who aren't going there. I'm one of them. Uh, you know, not having direct conversations with members, that, that makes it tough to lobby, makes it tough to talk to them about issues. Um, Austin, you've been by a couple of times. I, I think it's it's extremely difficult under these circumstances. Yeah, just briefly, I've been there probably three times this session. And we should mention, you know, former member Nolan Metatol died of COVID this yeah. year. I know that's, you know, he was a great man. Everybody loved him. So it has a real impact on those who work in and around the Capitol. There's something else quite significant that's happened since uh, since we were last together, the three of us, the, the, the flag. The flag issue, first of all, uh, the, the fact that the legislature acted on it and then that the people were able finally to vote on it in a, in, in a sense and that now uh, it has been uh, signed by the governor. The governor was right out in front this time. He, he uh, had not been terribly supportive of changing the flag beforehand, but when it came time to sign the bill, he was right there. That's right. This was a big moment for our state. And I have a lot of gratitude to the Republican members and Democratic members of the legislature that helped to make this vote and to our governor for signing it. Um, This has been a long process, boys. Uh, I think Aaron Henry, the civil rights leader, filed the first bill in the Mississippi legislature to change the flag back in 1988. In 1993, the NAACP and members of the Black Caucus sued the state to try to change the flag. And then, of course, we just heard from Governor Musgrove, his flag commission co-chaired by William Winter, recently gone. Um, So many people have worked so hard over the course of time to do this. Um, I am glad that Governor Winter lived long enough to see this result, that he put so much sweat equity in. But I'm also grateful, Austin, to young people, particularly young black people, that brought this issue to the people. They saw what was going on nationally and thought this might be a moment. They raised their voice, and, you know, the business community responded. and NCAA responded. So it was a culmination of a lot of unlikely bedfellas. And you heard the speaker a moment ago. He was speaking with passion. I don't know that I've ever heard Speaker Gunn speak with as much passion and excitement about something they've done over there. And so that, that's a big feather in his cap. And, and as someone on the different side of the aisle that's disagreed with him on so many things, I'm very proud of his leadership here. Well, in the Capitol building, there are two people that really deserve a lot of credit. And that's the speaker. Philip Gunn, and that's the Lieutenant Governor, Delbert Hoseman. Those two men went out on a limb in their own party. Uh, There were many who did not want that to happen. There were a lot of Republicans who were, I don't know if I want this or not, uh, but who ultimately were convinced it was the right thing to do, and it was the right thing to do. The business community, MEC, that's the Mississippi Economic Council, basically our state chamber of commerce. Um, Those guys and girls, they worked so hard. They were so supportive of this. A lot of business community leaders around the state. A lot of those guys are are nonpartisan. Uh, They deserve a lot of credit for it. You both saw what happened at the U.S. Capitol uh, last week. The, the whole world saw it, and, and we've seen it played and replayed. It's still playing out. We have an inauguration that's scheduled to happen right outside that building uh, next week. Um, Austin, you spent a lot of time in Washington. 
how did that whole thing, that whole uh, affair move you? And what do you think we need to do now? I was angry, very, very angry. The Senate Parliamentarian's office, I worked as an intern. Um, gosh, I was 21, 22 years old. It was the summer of 1997. I saw pictures of it. Just It was just junked. It was trashed. Um, there are a lot more rough words that I want to use, but I won't because we're here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I was very angry. I was very upset with the president. Um, I was very upset that... Um, I felt like he encouraged folks to come to Washington. And that's, you want to encourage folks to come to Washington to let their voice be heard, that's fine. But you don't, you don't get these types of people who were so angry. You don't just get them and say, you know what, I, I, I want you to go and, and go, you know, charge the Capitol. Um, and he and, and, uh, and others on his team said some words that I really wish, I hope that they regret that they did. I voted for Donald Trump. I think he did a lot of things uh, that were good during his, during his presidency. But this certainly, um, you know, the last nine days uh, have, have um, marred his presidency in, in, in many ways. I'm, I'm not surprised to know that you feel that way, Austin, but I appreciate you saying it. You know, we have worked over the years to give these viewers a show where we try to be honest. We try to find ways to um, talk about these issues in as honest a way as possible and to find parts where we agree and where we disagree. Um, what strikes me is that our country is in desperate need of an injection of honesty and truth. We, we can't reconcile ourselves to one another unless there's some truth and factual basis that we start from. And I look at the folks last Wednesday, those horrific images, images that, you know, we've never seen, uh, that that capital has not been under siege since the War of 1812, to put that in context. Um, and now we know people died. Um, and I think those are people who have been lied and misled. They were there under the honest belief that the election had been stolen from them. And what a disservice to them. And, and, and to their worldview and to their families and to their communities, that it brings them to this point of crisis and brings the nation to this point of crisis. But I think part of the way that we begin to unravel all this is to be honest about where we are. There is this desire to kind of have a boogeyman when things aren't going well in our life. And Donald Trump has kind of filled that vacuum by giving people these narratives that justify bad acts. So I think the process that we're seeing now, this impeachment, I know that people are tired. People are exhausted. They are tired of having to think about the news. But accountability has to be a part of the process so that we don't make the same mistakes again. You know, we know from being kids, if you don't get punished when you do something wrong, then you're going to be inclined to do something wrong next time. Or one of your buddies might see it and say, well, I can get away with it, too. So I think it's a necessary process we're going through. Both sides have got to be better. Do you, we've got less than a minute. I would like you to respond to that, though. Do you think that the Senate then should go forward with the trial for uh, for President Trump, even after uh, Joe Biden is president? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I don't. I think the I think the appropriate response would have been a censure measure, um, but that that's the consequences of, of what you did. I don't think I've thought a lot about this and debated this with with some really close friends who were strong Republicans. I, I, I just think at this point in time, if I was a voting member, I probably would not vote for impeachment. Uh, impeachment, excuse me. But I do think censure uh, would have been an appropriate measure. And so did um, the leader of the, the minority leader in the House. And I'm sure Mitch McConnell would have said the same thing. 
much to watch from Washington and beyond over uh, over these coming days, weeks, and months. Thank you both, as always. Good to be back with you. Uh, we are out of time. Don't forget, you can watch this program online or you can listen to the podcast at mpbonline.org slash issue. For day-to-day -day coverage, follow MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for joining us. Good night. Thanks for listening to the At Issue podcast from MPB News. If you haven't already, subscribe to get new episodes weekly. And don't forget to like, rate, and leave a review. You can also stay in touch with MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. For daily news, check out the Mississippi Edition podcast. Thanks for listening.